You're listening to the Bonfire Podcast, fanning the flames of the gospel to the ends of the world. Come on, let's dive into the Word. Well, welcome to the Bonfire Podcast, everyone. We are glad that you were joining us for another episode. If this is your first time listening, we would encourage you to come on in and stay a while and uh, listen to what we believe is the best Bible study, uh, Bible uh, uh, doctrine uh, podcast that you can find on the web and in the podcast world. And if you haven't done so, we'd ask you to subscribe and download our, our episodes on a regular basis. also want to encourage you to go over to our Facebook page, like and follow us there. It's an awesome opportunity for you to start a conversation about what you're hearing here on the podcast and to share the content with those that are in your social media uh, friends. And then lastly, um, as we started last week, just asking you to help us get the word out about the Bonfire Podcast. One of the things that helps us reach more people is, is ratings and reviews. And so if you're listening to us through the Apple Podcast, uh, which happens to be about 60% of our listening uh, body comes through Apple Podcast, if you would go down to the bottom of that uh, podcast and you will find a five-star rating, you can give us a rating there and you can leave a review. The more ratings and reviews they have, we have, the more likely we are to be found by other people who are searching uh, just random topics on uh, online. And so we'd really ac- appreciate if you could help us there in reaching uh, more people. Well, on this episode, we are going to be in week three of our study through the book of Jonah. It's a series that we've entitled The Depths of Mercy, Jonah and the God of Second Chances. And so far, we've seen that Jonah, a, a prophet of the one true God, when given an assignment to go and preach to the pagans in Nineveh, rebelled against God and his will. And once doing so, God chastened him, uh, and he uh, ultimately got his attention uh, by having him uh, be in the belly of a whale for three days and three nights, and ultimately uh, put him on a path to restoration and a second chance at doing what God asked him to do. When we finished up last time, uh, we were looking that Jonah had been in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights, and he had just been projected out of the mouth of the whale and then landed on the sandy shores uh, of a beach. And that's where we left off there at the end of uh, chapter 2. And we're going to be picking up this week looking at uh, Jonah chapter 3. And so uh, as we study uh, chapter 3 on this episode, um, we're going to look at three things today. We're going to look at uh, Jonah's redo, Nineveh's revival, and God's relent. You know, Matt, you were talking about the the big fish, the whale spitting up Jonah. I heard of uh, someone being a headache before. You have too. But to the fish that swallowed Jonah, Jonah was a bellyache. That's that's exactly right. That's right. That's right. And so, again, we're going to be looking at uh, Jonah's redo, Nineveh's revival, and God's relent as we study through chapter 3. So I'd encourage you, if you have your Bible, if you will, open it and turn with us to the book of Jonah. And we're going to be again here in chapter 3. And as we look at Jonah's redo, I want us to start with just looking at verses 1 through 4. And so let's read those together. Uh, Starting at verse 1, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city, a three days journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. And then he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And so, um, as we see here in these first uh, four verses of chapter three, 
Um, we see again Jonah's redo. I think all of us at one point or another, Dad, we've wanted to do something over again, right? You've, you've made a mistake. You've maybe done something that you didn't want to do, and you just wish you could do it over again. You could start over. I think that's very common for, for all of us uh, to, to have done that. Maybe it's been a, a test that we've taken that we wish we could retake, or maybe it was a game that we played uh, that we wish we could replay. Um, if only we had a second chance. Dad, I was looking and, and studying about our topic today, and I ran across this story I thought it would be good to share with our listeners. In the game of golf, uh, a redo um, has a name. It's called a mulligan. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's several legends of how this term came to be, but the most uh, one that gets uh, the most note or gets uh, told the most is that they accredit David Bernard Mulligan, a Canadian amateur golfer, for making the term famous back in the 1920s. Mm-hmm. And in, a, in an interview in 1952, well, when Mulligan was interviewed, he told the story of the first Mulligan, and this is how he told that story. He said, one day I was playing with my usual foursome. I hit a ball off the first tee, and it was long enough, but not straight. I was so provoked with myself that on impulse, I, I stood up, stooped over, and I put another ball down. There, the others looked at me with a considerable puzzlement, and one of them asked, what are you doing? He said, I'm taking a correction shot, I replied. What do you call that, the partner inquired. Thinking fast, I told him, I call it a mulligan. After that, it became an unwritten rule that in our foursome that we could all take an extra free shot on the first tee if we were not satisfied with the original. Naturally, this was always referred to as taking a mulligan. How about that? And so, uh, you know, I've taken my fair share of mulligans on the golf course. Um, I, I like to play golf, not a great golfer. Um, and so I need all the mulligans I can get. But in these verses, we see that uh, that God actually gave uh, Jonah a mulligan in ministry, mm-hmm. a mulligan in ministry. Uh, Dad, I was thinking about you uh, being a pastor, and I wondered if there's ever been times you wish you had a mulligan in ministry, uh, things you wish you could go back and do over, things that you, you said, man, if I could just have one more crack at that, I would have done it different. Well, I would say that it would be things pertaining to the past and years gone by, and that's certainly true, but it doesn't matter how old you are or how much knowledge you have, you're still going to do things that you would think later, boy, I wish I would have done something different in that regard. Yeah. You know, I've led the church, oh, let, let's change. Remember one time I said, let's do a contemporary service along with the, the blended, more traditional service, thinking, oh man, that'll reach the young people. Come to find out, I went out and visited the, the folks, the young people. They said, well, we like kind of a traditional service. And I thought, what? You know, and I thought, I wish I could have redone that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, and again, it's just natural that all of us are good through times where we wish we could redo something. But again, we see God here give Jonah a mulligan in ministry. Notice in verses 1 and 2, it says that the Lord came to Jonah the second time, the second time, focus in on that, and he gave him the same assignment as before, to go to Nineveh and preach. Yes, uh, our God is a God of second chances, but I want us to be careful here. These verses do not imply that uh, those who reject Christ in our life will have a second chance in the next life. Uh, that's exactly clearly right. not the case. And we know that uh, really um, there's a, a risk if someone rejects Christ, who's a who's a person who's under the conviction of, of Christ and being called to be saved and they reject Christ, they may not get a second chance. 
But this verse does tell us that in the life of a Christian, when we fail God and we we didn't follow through with what we were supposed to do and we didn't obey God's will, uh, God is patient with us and He's He's long suffering, and He will make a way for us to hopefully be given an opportunity to make it right and to restore us back to what He wanted us to do. Well, my life is an example of that. I told you and. And weeks past, that when God got to dealing with me about surrendering myself to the ministry, he made it so clear that that's what he wanted me to do. But I, I rebelled against that idea because I, I knew pastors sometimes moved around and lived in the church house. And I didn't want to do that, and I didn't listen, so God had to lay me on my back, had my, had my appendix taken out, and I knew... That happened to me because I wouldn't listen to God. And I'm so glad he gave me a second chance because I surrendered myself to the ministry. And and I know today that uh, that's what God created me to be, to be a pastor. And and I wouldn't take anything for it. Certainly, I've given up some things, but what I have gained far outweighs what I gave up. That's that's exactly right. And so... um... You, you may be wondering, well, how did Jonah respond? Well, verse 3 simply states that Jonah arose and went according to the word of the Lord. And I thought it interesting here, Dad, that the Scripture doesn't record that there was any complaining, fussing, or traveling in the opposite direction this time. It seems that Jonah had learned his lesson, and he was making the most of this second chance uh, that he was offered. Uh, he was wanting to do his best he could on this redo that God had given him. And so as we see later in verse 3, we learn a little bit more just about the size of the task that uh, God gave Jonah. Looking at that, the back end of verse 3, you'll see that it says, Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Dad, we talked about Nineveh on our first episode, and you were giving some stats about uh, the city of Nineveh, and a lot of it was about the wickedness of the people there. Uh, but our Bible tells us that it was a great city. It was a massive city. And uh, as I was reading and studying, I found that um, archaeologists have kind of been able to uh, find some remains of the city of Nineveh, dig those up under under the ground. Mm-hmm. And uh, they believe that the circumference of the city was about 60 miles. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're talking about this probably was one of the largest, if not the largest city of that time, uh, a massive city. And it had uh, obviously a, a middle city square. I think they measured that to be about a mile uh, by two and a half miles wide. That's a pretty large city square. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it had, of course, outlying city areas and suburbs, um, if you can imagine, that all were part of Nineveh. And so when we see here that talks about this three-day journey, we were talking before we started here, uh, you know, we believe, and I think the the best way to interpret this uh, scripture is, again, it's talking about the size of the city and that it would probably take Jonah three days just for him to get around inside the, the area of Nineveh to all the major areas to reach the people where they were living. That's right. Yeah, I believe that it took three days of walking around that was required to see it all. I think about the city of Spartanburg, which is nothing in comparison in size to the city of Nineveh that you just described in circumference. But uh, boy, it would take a long time to walk around preaching and to the different groups and going from the east side of Spartanburg to the west side to the northern uh, outlaying areas of Boiling Springs. I mean, uh, yes, I certainly could see that. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's easy to see where that would be a three-day journey. The Bible also tells us that 
Uh, Jonah, on his first day of his journey, he reached the, what I say, the edge of the city. It says that he entered into the city. And so the way that I'm envisioning this is obviously this large area is, is the, the area known as Nineveh. And I'm assuming that the outlying areas are probably farmland and, and where cattle and sheep and everything were, were housed. And then the, the people most likely lived in, in clusters uh, in, in cities and towns that were a part of, of this uh, larger city, Nineveh. And so it took him a day's journey, and he began to reach to where people live. Mm-hmm. Uh, he reached inhabitants of the city of Nineveh, and it says that he began to preach uh, right there as he entered the city on the first day. Mm-hmm. And let's look at his message. His message is given to us in verse 4. And so uh, it says there, and again, Jonah began to enter the city on the first day to walk. And then he cried out, and he said, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. As soon as Jonah delivered the message, the clock would start counting down. Now, you know, his message was was very brief. Uh, just eight words. He, ha- he added no padding or fancy illustrations. I love to use illustrations when I talk, but he didn't add any according to what this says. He was just to the point. It was blunt. The message was one of doom and gloom Yet he made no attempt to dilute it. He did not promise that God would alleviate judgment at national repentance. His message was brief, blunt, and uh, we'll find out in a little bit it was blessed. That's exactly right. And, you know, uh, Dad, I was thinking about this, that that verse there, and, and you know, we got to confess, we really don't know if there was more to it or not. I mean, this is all that's recorded in Scripture. I mean, you would have to think that, you know, uh, he was out there maybe uh, telling people about the one true God, right? I mean, because mm-hmm. this uh, this was a pagan land. They worshiped all kinds of gods. And uh, in the later verses that we're going to see, it says that they believed God. And so they had to, had to hear something about him. Um, but we just don't know if there was more to his message or not. But I think the important thing for us to, to learn from this is that Jonah obeyed God. He went to Nineveh. And he declared the message that God gave him, and God did the rest. And so even if it was just an eight-word sermon, as you said there, uh, that's all that God needed. He just needed him to be obedient and be willing, and then he was going to take care of everything else uh, that was going to happen there. And so you see here that, uh, as it oftentimes does, a man of God comes to town with a message from God, and we're going to see that revival breaks out in the town of Nineveh. Yeah, just thinking about those eight words, you know, that could have just been the point of the message. Sometimes I know that when I preach, people, uh, they say folks will remember an illustration more than anything else. But, you know, my my uh, objective is for them to get the point. Yeah. The point. Now, some preachers say you need to have uh, three points and, and four sub points and sub points of the sub points, you know, points, points, points. The, the main objective is the point. The yeah. point was of doom and gloom and uh, he didn't tell them that they would have forgiveness if they repented, but uh, it got their attention. But you know what? The prophet's most eloquent message, you might say, was himself. The, Ninev- the Ninevites didn't just listen to him. They actually looked at him. And you can imagine after being three days in the, the belly of the great whale, you know, we gave an illustration of a man many years ago that was swallowed by a whale. And, you know, when the whale was cut open, uh, there he was, and he was alive. He had passed out. But, uh, you know, his hands and his neck and face that were exposed directly to the acids and the juices of the whale had been bleached white. And I understand bleach white 
permanently. And so they didn't just listen to him. They looked at him. Now, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2, 6, he's writing to uh, the Christians in that church. He said, you are our epistles and our hearts known and read by all men. In other words, uh, today, you and I that are believers in Christ, you know, sometimes we're the only Bible that people ever read. You know, uh, they look at us and they can tell the truth of the gospel by the way we live and the way we talk. And, you know, he was very authoritative in his preaching, too. Yeah, that's exactly right. And ultimately, uh, as a result of his preaching and his obedience to God and God's will, revival broke out in Nineveh. And so I want us to look now at uh, Nineveh's revival. And let's look at verse 5 going through verse 9. It says, So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and satin ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his noble saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from their evil way and from the violence that is in his hands." Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? So that's verses, again, five through nine here. Dad, what I find interesting is that uh, God gave the the people of Nineveh 40 days uh, of grace, but it it didn't seem like it took that long. They didn't need all of that time. Because we get the impression just from the way that the scripture reads, we go right from uh, uh, from Jonah preaching on day one to the very next verse, the people believed. Um, and so it seems that uh, from the very first words that Jonah said, that uh, they began to hear his warning and they paid attention to his, his message. And undoubtedly, the word spread quickly through the entire city and people humbled themselves and they began fasting and wearing sackcloth. And an all-out revival broke loose in Nineveh. Dad, you were uh, telling me before that you had a couple stages of the revival that happened at Nineveh. Can you share those with the yeah. with the listeners? The four effects of Jonah's preaching. Well, number one was faith. Faith. Notice in the Bible says that in verse five. So the people of Nineveh they believed God. Now the Scripture says Paul said in Romans four eleven. That Abraham, you know, the patriarch, the Jewish patriarch, Abraham, he believed God, that's what Paul said, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. And so if Abraham was saved when he believed God, why would not the Ninevites be saved when they believed God? And so they had faith. And you know, today, if God is speaking to you out there in the podcast land, and God is speaking to your heart about turning from your sin and repenting. If you will do that and believe God and have faith, he will forgive you. For without faith, it's impossible to please God. You can't know him apart from faith. For it's by grace that we're saved through faith. You've got to believe God is. And not only here's not only faith, but the second effect of his preaching was fasting. It says, and uh, he proclaimed a fast. So the people of Nineveh believed to God, proclaimed a fast. And even the king uh, told 
everyone. He said in verse 7, And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let each man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Uh, yes, let everyone turn from his evil way. In other words, fasting. Fasting's when you purposely do without something that you might focus on God. And boy, it God got their attention when they saw this man, Jonah. And they, they fasted. And why were they fasting? In the hopes that God would relent. Mm-hmm. Now, you see, certainly, I told you a while ago that they not only listened to Jonah, but they looked at Jonah. They looked at Jonah. They probably said... You know, maybe Jonah told them uh, that he had been swallowed by a big fish uh, in his preaching. He could have been more than eight words. You know, yeah. the point was repent or, you know, repent. But uh, maybe they, they wanted to know, why do you look the way you look? And so perhaps Jonah told them his story. And they surely said, well, God punishes sin. But the fact that Jonah, but the fact that you're alive caused them to say, God pardons sinners. So they had hope. And so that hope is what led them not only to have faith in the true God, but to fast. Do you want to say anything more about that fasting? Well, I see that they not only did they fast, but it also they, they prayed with fasting. You know, fasting is is obviously when you uh, you stop eating and you spend time in, in reverence. But it did say that they prayed as well, because when the king made the order in verse eight, it says, and cry out mightily to God. And so, uh, you know, not only were they just not eating, uh, they were crying out mightily mightily to God. The other thing that I found interested in this uh, section here was that it wasn't just a fast for the humans. It was a fast for the animals as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's sometimes odd. You know, you don't see that happening much in the Old Testament where the animals were fasting as well. And uh, people postulate and say, well, that was because they were going to be destroyed. So why why worry about feeding the animals? And others say, well, you know, let the animals even cry out to God. Uh, don't feed them and they're going to start crying out because of their hunger. And that will be a call to God as well, uh, that, that we, we heard his message and uh, that we understand that we're, we're in the wrong um, and that we need to change. Uh, hey, Matt, I think there's even another reason for why the king issued an edict that they were not to even feed their animals or, or give them something to drink. Uh, feeding animals and giving them water, that requires work. You know, that's the work of a farmer, to feed the animals, to give them hay to eat and grain and to provide water for them or to lead them to a, a spring to drink water. That requires work. And, and the king was so worried about the judgment of God and the destruction of the whole city that he he basically said, hey, you don't have time to work. All you need to focus on is getting on your face with with dust on your head, getting as low to the ground as you possibly can be to humble yourself, to be even with the ground and beg and plead with God that he would relent. He'd change his mind about this. So I, I think that's that's one of the things that you've got to take in consideration too. Yeah, that's good. I, I really like that. You know, uh, another thing that comes to mind is that uh, this fasting was not just for, you know, the the kings. It, w- it was for all people, uh, from the halls of the rich and powerful to the hovels of the poor and destitute. One and all were caught up in this fast. And the king, 
He called not just for a national day of prayer. You know, our our president, well, I don't know about the president we got now, but uh, our presidents in the past have called for a national day of prayer. And they've even had a uh, a a meal over at the in Washington for the National Day of Prayer with speakers, but he didn't just call for a National Day of Prayer, but a National Day of Fasting. Now, boy, wouldn't that be something if we had a president of the United States to say, "Listen, we're in trouble with God because of our sins and our wickedness, and we don't need to just pray." I'm I'm calling on all Americans to abstain from food, to not give any attention to the daily concerns for the body and for going to work or anything, but to focus on the main thing, which is to get right with God, to get yourself right with God. Well, not only is faith and fasting uh, two of the effects of Jonah's preaching, but also forsaking. You see, he says in verse 8, let everyone turn from his evil way. That's repentance when you return when you turn from your evil way and from the violence that is in your hands. And so the king said, "Listen, we've got to repent. We've got to turn away from this sin." And obviously the people did. And the king went on to say, "Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish?" And so they forsook their sin in the hopes that, that God would forgive them. Because like I said, Jonah was a testimony of the fact, hey, you can mess up, but God can forgive. This man is telling us this as an example. Maybe God will forgive us if we repent and turn away from our sins. And so they, they had faith, they fasted, they, they forsook their sin, and they were granted the forgiveness of God. Verse 10 says, Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil ways. See, that says that they actually forsook their sin. They turned from their evil ways. And God relented. That word relent means he changed his mind from the disaster that he had said that he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Now today, if you're not a Christian, you're condemned. You're condemned already. And... uh and no one has to preach condemnation. You're condemned already. But God does not want you to be condemned. He wants you to turn away from your sin that you might have life. And that's exactly what happened uh, to these Ninevites. That's exactly right. And what I find interesting, Dad, is, again, from reading of the Scripture um, and just the way the verses play out is it seems like this was immediate. You know, it says, it goes right from, again, uh, Jonah preaching on day one, and then the very next verse, it says that they believed. And so, you know, you have to kind of wonder what was going on here, and, and we've already kind of talked about this, but I want to recap it again. You know, I wonder if, if someone had seen Jonah being spit from this well and, and landing on the beach. I mean, we don't know if it was in a deserted area. Maybe there was people around, and they said, my word, what is this? This man went flying through the air, and he landed on the beach, and that word had spread, and it got out in front of him, and it made it all the way to Nineveh. That's true. That, that, that could have happened. We don't we don't really know. Or maybe it's what you said. Maybe he was he was bleached from the gastric juices of the fish, and he looked so peculiar that no one could doubt uh, who he was and what happened to him. And uh, we we just don't know exactly what caused this quick response. But what I want us to be very very careful, and that we don't miss here, and that we don't discredit, is that uh, there is an awesome power. Uh, in the uh, move of God. 
Mm-hmm. And if God wants to to do something and he wants to en- enact a change and he wants to get in and amongst the people group and, and start moving and working in them, uh, you don't need all these human answers. We try to in our very small human minds and, 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 and we try to put our reason to it and our ration to say, well, how did that happen? But sometimes you just got to step back and say, well, that was a God thing. You know, I see it that the fires of revival were lit and God began to move among those people. And uh, and before you know it, an all-out revival broke loose in that area. Dad, as I was studying this, I got excited uh, because I think, you know, uh, revival is one of the things that's burdened on my heart is I, I want revival more than I want my next meal. And I think that we need it so bad. And when I was thinking about how this revival just broke out and a whole city got turned upside down, I got to thinking about the Burlington revival from 2016 that we were talking about just a, a week or so ago. And, and that revival, it started as a week-long event at New Hope Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina, led by evangelist C.T. Townsend. And it ultimately became an 11-week massive tent crusade uh, where more than 1,250 people uh, put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Like Nineveh, that entire town was turned upside down when God moved in and began to work. Man. And uh, it's just amazing. Uh, you know, I think we discredit uh, what a move of God and revival can do. And I think there's lessons here that we need to learn and that we need to be very, very careful. And we need to, and at this time in our country and in this uh, state of spiritual decay that we're in right now in our world, we need to learn these lessons very, very quickly here. It's, it's that a, a true move of God, a, a God-breathed, a Holy Ghost-inspired revival, it can change individuals' lives, as we see in, in the story of, of Jonah and Nineveh. It can change families. I can guarantee you that there was families that were torn apart and broken by the evilness and the and the ugliness and the, just the, the wickedness of that town, and, and God put them back together. And he began to put them back together. And I see that the whole communities were changed. I, I, I bet you that there were certain areas of Nineveh where people say, you don't go over in that on that side of town. That's right. You don't go down that street because the wickedness and the evilness was just so vile. And their whole community got changed. It, we see from the story that it can it can change the hearts of government leaders. The mm-hmm. king, the king himself, he took off of his royal robes and he put on sackcloth and he covered himself in ashes and he sat there and he repented of his sins and he cried out to an all holy God. Mm-hmm. So it can change our government leaders, the hearts of our leaders. It can change our governments, our courts, and our laws. We see in the story that after revival broke out, that the first thing the, the king did is he made a, a law. He made a proclamation that we were going to go into fasting and that we were going to not feed the animals and that we were going to turn from our wicked ways. That was a law that he put in place. Right. Revival can change our government, our courts, and our laws. And revival can change the entire tra- trajectory of society. Mm-hmm. Think about this. This is a whole society that God was ready to wipe off of the map. And revival broke loose in there. And you, you've already uh, told him that he relented. Mm-hmm. He, 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 he held back from that damnation that he was going to bring upon that, mm-hmm. that people. And that changed the trajectory of the entire society of Nineveh. Right. Uh, they were almost no longer. Um, If God had continued forward. And I think that's a lesson that we need to learn uh, so much uh, in in today's time. And and Dad, you know, as we spoke a few weeks ago, we talked about uh, being uh, America, being woke, but spiritually broke. And many people, they scratch their head and they they, uh, say, you know, what is the answer to our troubles? Well, friends, the answer is God. 
And we need a move of God, and we need revival like we've never needed it before. And, you know, my prayer, Dad, is that God will send us revival and that he'll move one more time uh, before his return. And, uh, you know, the revival that Nineveh experienced um, is the same type of revival that we need to experience here in America. You know, I was reading a book uh, not too long ago. Really, I, I read a lot of things in preparations for sermons, but uh, this book was written by a great Christian leader. But basically, he'd given up hope of uh, America changing. But you know what? I, I'd like to be able to to say to him today, hey, if, if, if Nineveh could change, and get on their face and repent. This is a place where there was not a single Christian. And, of course, they weren't Christians back then, not a single probably believer in God other than Jonah. If Nineveh, as wicked as it could be, could humble themselves, these Ninevites, and change, uh, then there is still hope for America. Mm, there there is. is still hope for America. And, you know, a lot of people make light of uh, preachers that point out the fact that that God is— not only a God of love, but he's a God of justice, and he will judge. And there is an eternity of hell that awaits those that do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior and reject God. I'll tell you what, if there's ever been a need for uh, the preaching about hell and about the preaching of the judgment of God, it's today's time. It is not something that we should quit speaking about because it is truth. Jesus spoke much about uh, the eternal consequences of our sins if we don't repent. And I think it's, it's uh, supposed to be for every born-again child of God, we should tell our friends about the judgment that's going to come. You see, what was the message of Jonah? It was that judgment, judgment. was going to come. And so there needs to be hellfire preaching today, and as as well as the fact that there is forgiveness. We could go ahead and say that, where Jonah might not have said that, but there's forgiveness but there needs to be that today. There needs to be, because there's going to come a point where that sermon's going to be too late to preach. That's right. Um, on the Day of Judgment, it's going to be too late to, to, to preach that sermon. Um, and it, it's going to be a, a sad, sad day uh, when there are those who are going to be standing before the Creator, the one that they said that they didn't believe in, the one that they said that they, they hated and they wouldn't serve, and they have to stare him in the face. And uh, he has to say, you know, depart from me, you know, you workers of iniquity. And and that's something that uh, we need to be cognizant of, Dad. But I, you know, I'm I think that uh, the sad part about uh, our situation is we have folks like you. You talked about that author that wrote that he had given up on America. I, I'm not ready to give up on anyone uh, as long as God's still in control. Because I feel like he he if he can have revival in Nineveh, he can have revival in South Carolina. He can have revival in Absolutely. the United States. He can have revival in right now a massive revival going on in Iran. Uh, one of the, the most communist uh, or most uh, uh, closed door uh, uh, persecuted areas for Christian, a massive revival going on there. God can have a move of God anywhere he, he sees fit. Um, but my concern is that we got to want it. And I just don't know if if, if the, the Americans and, and our Christians, uh, people that sit in the pews every Sunday, I don't know if they want it enough. And uh, we got to get to a point where we, we want it and we're desperate for it. And it becomes the longing of our heart. It becomes the desire that of every prayer is that we see revival and we see our, our, our families change and we see our communities change and we see this world turn back to God. Until we get to that point, 
um, I, I'm fearful that we're not going to see it. And so that's why I just keep praying that, that it will be a burden that gets put on everyone's heart and that we as, as, as a, a believing body of Christians, that we will do, as the Bible said, we'll fall on our face and we'll be the first ones to confess our sins and that we would humble ourselves and then, then God would see fit to uh, work among us and to heal our nation um, before he returns. Because I, I don't think it's going to be long. I don't think it's going to be, think it's gonna be long at all. You know. You know, Dad, I was thinking about other revivals. I love uh, reading the stories of these massive movements of God that happened um, back. I think it was, I think it was 1912. There was that massive revival that happened over in Wales, and uh, there's a wonderful story. And you, you have that story, and I, I think it's still worthwhile to, for us to go through it now. That's right. Back during the early 1900s, uh, there was the great revival in Wales, and thousands of tough miners were converted, and they were so changed these miners were, that when they returned to the mines, they could not even get the pit ponies to work. They, the pit ponies, were confused because they had they were used to being kicked and cursed at by the miners, but the miners' hearts had been changed even in relation to their beast and their work animals, and they treated them with kindness, and the pit ponies didn't understand it. That's exactly right. There's other things that happened in in uh, Wales uh, during this time. Uh, there's the newspapers that that show that were printed at that time, and you open the newspapers on the front page of the newspapers. Instead of there being headlines, there was gospel songs. There were hymns that were printed in the paper, uh-huh. so that they could be mass distributed out. And the and the stories that were on there, the stories were that all the bars were closing in, in the towns because they didn't need bars because everyone was going into church. I heard the story also told about those miners up there, that, that those miners were some of the most uh, tough and evil and wicked men uh, that worked in those mines, and and they would be in that mine, and they were uh, using those Shetland ponies, the real small ones, because those mines were short. Uh, but they would be in there, and they were mining, and uh, they could hear from the valley below, because they were up in the mountains, they could hear the songs coming out of these churches as revival services were going on all across the city. And it, you could, uh, being said by one uh, miner, he said you could feel the literal Spirit of God move into that uh, that mine that they were in. And he said the next night, they all put their mining tools down, and they went into the church, and most of them gave their life to Christ, and that's when they came back. And the, the, the ponies, they didn't know what was going on. That's they were right. like, we're so used to being cursed and kicked and, and prodded and everything, and, and the, these men came back different. And so revival can change um, a lot of things. Again, it can change individuals. Revival can change families, communities, can change the hearts of our government leaders, our governments, our courts, our laws, and the trajectory of society can all be changed uh, by revival. And that's something that that I think we need so much uh, in in our country today and in our world today. We need a move of God. And ultimately, we see that Nineveh experienced their revival, and God responded to their faith, their repentance, and their prayer with fasting with relent. And let's look at that last verse there of uh, chapter 3. Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil ways, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. And so we see here, again, God responded with relent. Um, this phrase, God relented, uh, Dad, you talked about it earlier. It means that he withheld uh, the threatened judgment uh, that was coming upon him. And so, uh, you know, again, we're, we've entitled this series um, 
the depths of mercy, the God of second chances. And and here we see the depths of mercy from the God of second chances. You know, not only did Jonah get a second chance, not only did uh, Jonah get to experience the mercy of God, the Ninevites did as well. Uh, they right. got a second chance and they got to see uh, the mercy of God when he, he we withheld the punishment and the, the damnation that he was going to send on that city for the wickedness. And he uh, relented and did not send it there. And so um, that brings our episode here as we begin to wrap up to a close. And uh, just a couple of things that I want to, again, kind of bring us back and put into perspective and uh, give us some things that we can can take away. Um, I think one that we always, uh, as we just said, we need to remember that God is a merciful God and that he is a God of second chances and uh, that he is He is willing to give us uh, those who us are believers when we fail him. Uh, he usually will make a way for us to to be able to get back into a good standing and have an opportunity to follow through with what he's asked us to do. Uh, but it's important to know that, again, that example doesn't extend to those who are rejecting Christ um, as as Lord and Savior. Uh, there's no guarantee that there's a second chance. Um, and it's very possible that when you say no to, to Christ, that may be the very last time that the Holy Spirit is working on you and touching you. And so uh, the Bible says you need to seek him while he is near. And so when you feel the presence of God uh, speaking to you and the Holy Spirit uh, speaking to you, uh, that's when you need to to not not do a Jonah. Don't go in the opposite direction, um, except uh, what God's trying to offer to you and uh, place your faith and your trust in him as your Lord and Savior. And then uh, as, as I've already talked to you, you guys hopefully can see my heart here is that uh, we need revival. And I, I hope that all of you, as you have been studying in this study, um, uh, will we'll, uh, maybe make revival part of your, your daily prayer. Praying for revival in your own personal life, praying for revival in your, your own community, your church, um, and ultimately uh, in, the, in our country, in the United States. And we have listeners that are all around the world. And uh, these countries around the world that you're listening to, we need revival there as well. This world needs revival. We need to turn uh, from our wicked ways. We need to put our faith and our trust back in God. And hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll have an opportunity to do that before uh, he returns again so that there will be more people coming onto the ark and That's having right. an opportunity to be spared from, uh, from judgment. That's exactly right. Well, Dad, uh, I've enjoyed the the episode with you, and I encourage our listeners to be reading ahead. Next week will be our last week in the series, and we'll be tackling Chapter 4. So go ahead and be taking a look at Chapter 4, and we'll see you again next week. Dad, will you pray us out of here? Sure. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for loving us. And, Father, we thank you that you gave the Ninevites a second chance. You gave them a chance to, to repent and uh, to get right with you, and it it caused them to avert judgment. And Lord, you are giving people I know out there listening to this podcast another opportunity. Uh, you've spoken to them in the past, and Lord, they haven't listened. Uh, but Lord, once again, you've come to them, and you've given them an opportunity to turn from their sin, or maybe even to surrender, as Jonah did, to do your will, uh, to to, to do the ministry that you've called them to do. Lord, help them to take advantage of this opportunity that you now present to them that they might either give their life to you and accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, or they might submit to do your will, whatever that is for them. Lord, I know that there's blessings that they will receive if they'll listen to you, Father, and I pray they'll do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bonfire Podcast. We encourage you to subscribe wherever you stream your podcast content. 
Also, be sure to rate us on iTunes and Facebook so that others will know about the podcast. If you have a question that you'd like to see us address on an episode, feel free to email us at bonefireministries at gmail.com.